Welcome to the People and Performance Podcast, offering tips and expert insights into the strategic capabilities, behaviors, and results needed to grow and sustain employee performance. In this People and Performance Podcast episode, we focus on ways leaders can cut through the noise to scale high-performing teams faster. Our guest this time is Barbara Singer, founder and CEO of Executive Core. Barb leads a group of 150 global professionals, whose mission is to more quickly innovate professional development globally. In the last 20 years, Barbara has worked with thousands of high-potentials leaders, C-suite executives, and board members around the globe at critical turning points in their careers. She has more than a decade of experience serving as an executive sponsor and engagement manager in sectors including technology, pharmaceuticals, engineering, and professional services. Enjoy this conversation Chris and Bill had with Barb and remember to check out more episodes at pppod.com. Barb, it's great to have you on with us today. We're excited to hear your expertise and to know more about what you guys do over at Executive Core. So let me ask you a question. Let me start off by asking this question. Predictions of success. In a recent LinkedIn post, you wrote, leadership success depends on your ability to influence people's ideas, focus, and actions. This week's 111 Leadership Sprint trained members in four power tools of influence, which will help them be well-positioned to grow their organizations quickly. Can you briefly run through what some of these power tools of influence are? Yeah, absolutely. First of all, thank you for having me on the podcast. This is a lot of fun. And we did indeed spend some time in Canada this week talking with 111 scale-up businesses that are rocking and rolling. And we talked about the power tools of influence and languages of leadership. The four power tools are rational persuading, using logic, facts, evidence, other pieces of information to substantiate when you have a request. It's why um, images, bar charts, graphs, data, um, artificial intelligence, and data analytics are so important to us today. That's the first one. The second one is inspiring, and it is an emotional connection that you have with someone showing how your request Um, as a leader is consistent with what they believe is the right thing to do. And it really requires you get to know people and find out what they care about and what they believe. Uh, The third one is asserting, and my students at Notre Dame, I get to teach in the Executive MBA program, they will tell you one of my favorite phrases is to tell people 10 words or less. And you can be a great leader, you can have great vision, you can have great ideas, but if you can't crystallize and be concise in what you want people to achieve and what their goals are, they'll get confused. They won't know where you're going. And so asserting is one of the power tools, 10 words or less, telling people what the goal is, 10 words or less, telling them what your your ask is. And the last one is probably the most powerful of the power tools, and it's consulting. It is using their expertise and co-building a solution with another person and then publicly giving them credit for their ideas as you're weaving a final solution together. Taking the best of their brain and the best of your brain. It's also taking the best of what they believe um, is good for a business or an organization and and you doing the same and, and crafting something that works. So rational persuading, inspiring, consulting, and asserting are the four power tools. 
Excellent. Thank you for sharing those. Yeah, those are great. I'm just, as you're going through them, I'm processing them in my mind too. I'm thinking, yeah, that would be great. I, I love that. I wrote down the asserting the 10 words or less. It's more around the 10 words or less versus being assertive in, in what I'm saying. I'm thinking that would be great as I as I go, go on right now for a lot more words myself at this the very moment. So I, I like the 10 words or less piece. <laughs> um, so it's great. So next question I have for you is you also help executives remove obstacles that may be slowing them down. What are some of those, quote unquote, monkeys on our backs that are preventing us from achieving optimum performance levels? Well, one of the first things that we've learned through a whole heck of a lot of research is executives don't know what they need to do to succeed. And the more senior you get in an organization, you guys know the joke, CEO never gets two things, a bad lunch and the truth. When you're a senior executive in an organization, uh, people have agendas. They are nervous to give you unvarnished feedback. Um, or they may use a lot of words or they may talk around what the real issues are. We were working with a top five professional services firm for decades, and we were studying their performance reviews, their 360 assessments, and we had the opportunity to coach individuals. And we found um, across the board, we just did this for a fast-moving consumer company in the, in the food industry, um, that people really don't know what they need to do and to succeed. We look at their performance reviews, we read them. There may be one small sentence in that performance review that really tells you the key leadership issue that is their obstacle. And so the first thing to getting at the obstacle is as a, as a leader, you need some really good feedback. And you also need somebody that can collect it from your constellation of stakeholders and really find out what the emerging themes are. For every leader, there's usually one, we call it a lever, one lever, which is part of their leadership style, something that they could evolve or do differently that would make all the difference in people wanting to follow them, enjoying their work, feeling like they're more successful when they're working with that leader. Sometimes it's one of the power tools that I already mentioned um, sometimes it is clarity of vision. Sometimes it's clarity of making a few big bets and not getting distracted by things that are priorities. Um, right now in our global database of um, information around the languages of leadership and influence, the number one lowest rated skill that we have in our database is leaders taking the time to reflect and then be intentional about what they want to communicate. Did that answer your question? Yeah, it did. It it hit right on it too, and I, and I love the fact that where you just hit that based upon one of your instruments that you use to measure people, the database there. You know that time to reflect. I think sometimes, you know, I think a lot of leaders these days don't realize they can reflect, and I think they always think that they have to be snappy with a response or an answer, and sometimes that steers them the wrong way. Is that something that you see too with with people in those situations? Yeah, you know, I was just I was hanging out with some founders of some really rapidly growing um, scale-up businesses. We were talking about 111 earlier, and we had a whole group of them in a room. And of course, you know, with COVID constrictions, um, it or restrictions, I should say, it was really a long time since they had felt like they could socially share 
some of their challenges and give each other feedback. And so I think it's unusual. I think we're moving faster. We've gotten more isolated during these COVID um, years and it's been even harder to get really good information and also to exchange information with people that are in similar roles and similar situations to you. Well, I guess that's because they're not listening to the People in Performance podcast. Uh, they can they can certainly get lots of great answers <laughs> there. Uh, there you hey, go. Bob, this is... World solved. <laughs> Sorry about that. World solved. Here we go. <laughs> Listeners, this is Bill. I've been very quiet on this episode so far. Hello, everybody. This is Bill. Um, Bob, it's lovely to have you on. In, in a presentation by you called Predictors of Executive Success, What Women Need to Know, shared on ivyexec.com, you suggested that the quality of your strategic business conversations will often make or break one's career. This is very dramatic stuff, Bob. What do you mean by this? (laughs) Well, you know, I, I keep hoping that this is not the case. There was a landmark study done at INSEAD years ago that showed that when we use 360 assessment to measure talent, especially leaders, directors, and above in organizations, um, women who hold similar roles to men are typically rated a standard deviation higher for all um, of the characteristics measured by typical 360s, with the exception of one category, and that is communicating strategically. And as the world changes, as we evolve, um, I'm an optimist and I keep thinking, you know, I don't know. We've been, we've been teaching men and women for many years to have more substantive strategic conversations and to really uh, narrow down their strategic conversations to three big bets, even one big bet that they want to invest time and money in to making a major change that will have a big payoff for their their company or their organization. So one conclusion that I have is that women and people who are from diverse backgrounds are probably held to a higher performance standard for their strategic conversations, particularly at the top of the house. Much has been written about you can be um, invited to the table, but whether or not you're accepted as an equal participant at the table and top management team meetings is is a topic uh, and a reality. But the second thing is, um, so you're held to a higher performance standard, but it also means that those strategic conversations, you can't afford simply to be tactical and focus on the day-to-day short-term goals in an organization. First of all, we know that taking time to reflect is something that most leaders don't do well. It doesn't matter. you know, what, what, um, whether they're a female, a male, or, or some other gender ident- identification. What it does mean is that we have to reflect. And then secondly, we have to be far more proactive early in a meeting, at the end of a meeting, talking about future possibilities and pulling trends together we're seeing in our industries, in the world, that could impact the future of our organization. We've been trained, of course, to focus on shareholder value, which is a a short-term, usually decision-making process. But really wise leaders will look much further out and they'll make some big bets that will fortify and sustain their company three years, five years, 10 years. 
out and they'll look back on their careers and say, okay, that was a really pivotal decision. I fought hard. I made sacrifices for something that I thought was worth it. Um, we need to be able to be less risk averse and to go out on a limb and make some of those big bets. Wonderful. Thank you very much. Um, as Chris and I are a couple of white males, we can't add too much to that, really. Um, hey, that session <laughs> <laughs> that session was so good that uh, we came up with a, a supplementary question. I think you kind of touched slightly on uh, some of the answer that uh, might come from this, but I'm going to ask you anyway. So perhaps it might just be a 60 second answer. Who knows? Um, but specifically around the mindsets piece that you were talking about uh, in that session, you you encourage leaders to challenge their mindset and benchmark their own career against what we know today are the best predictors of executive success okay maybe you can share some of those key predictors of executive success with us now yeah absolutely you asked me an earlier question actually chris did a few minutes ago about obstacles that executives have that are slowing them down and when we are working with top management teams, whether we're consulting, whether we are providing executive coaching at the top of the house, for many, many years, the number one request that we would get is that an executive needed to um, improve their executive presence. It's pretty nebulous terms, pretty hard to define, and um, it means different things to different people. So we really started to unpack with research what that means, partnered with a colleague of mine who was an expert, um, is an expert in Gestalt psychology. And we really started to look at holistic leadership. And when we talked about awareness and the super predictor for executive awareness that we have known for a long, long time, but I think vastly underestimate, the number one predictor is self-awareness. And self-awareness is measured not just at how deeply you understand yourself, but how clearly you understand how other people see you. So we started developing these performance mindsets. And when we looked at um, leaders, we did this with a fast-moving consumer goods company. Um, we looked at their top leaders. We could see that there were high-performing leaders and out of those high-performing leaders, there were a very small subset that were doing extraordinary things. They were working in difficult markets like China and Asia that were volatile for their services. They had teams that were doing things that had never been done before in the company. Their teams were happy and had very high performance um, pulse and engagement surveys. Their performance reviews were like Mick Jagger, they were rock stars, and they got unusually high financial results. And when we really started studying them, we realized they shared these performance mindsets, and there are seven of them. The first one I already mentioned is the super predictor, which is your own self-awareness, how others see you and how you see yourself, that's aligned. The second one is creativity. And the way we look at creativity, it's not just your own creativity, but that you encourage and create a lot of psychological safety so that people can show up and be radically creative around you, challenging their assumptions, trying things, doing a lot of experimentation. The third one is around emotional intelligence. Do you really use both the intellectual part of your, yourself, but also the emotional part of yourself to make very smart 
sensitive decisions. Um, then there is this ability as a team leader to create an environment that is caring and connection. I think it's Gardner Group in their employee engagement survey, they asked this question, um, do you have a best friend at work? And they have discovered that uh, having a best friend at work where you feel like you are cared for and connected um, relates to very happy employees. Um, so that's related to this performance mindset that we study. The other one is communication, how well you communicate. And we've done a lot of research with our languages of influence and leadership. Intuition, you apply that 10,000 hours that you have for subject matter expertise and you can make faster, better decisions. You know, that's a predictor. And a performance mindset that you see opportunities in everything that you do to leave people in places better than you found them. And it's really the way that we think for, for, you know, 60, 70 years, we have been studying people's behaviors on the job, very behaviorism kind of approach. But what we know is that our thinking drives our behavior. And so we're getting far more tactical in our work to really understand how people are thinking, especially when they're under a tremendous amount of stress or their resilience is being stretched. And those with very positive mindsets drive behavior that tends to be very positive. And it also links to leaders making ethical decisions and leaving the world a little better place, too. Barb, this is so good. We enjoy all the expertise you come, you come to the table with. And, and I've been in some of the, the concepts around your awareness and discussions with you and your partner there. And I was just blown away by the, the level of expertise you have. So I have a quick question for you. Um, this is how we wrap up all of our, our activities and our, and our podcasts. So the question is, from a culture and people processes perspective, what does a high-performing company mean to you? Uh, I love that question. And I think a high-performing company, and obviously we're going to look at it holistically. And I've, as we've been talking today, talking about a lot of the variables. With a lot of, I, I know you do this too, Chris, with some of the leaders that you work with. But I, I try and get them to think like they are an airplane pilot and they are looking at a dashboard because a high-performing company has to be financially healthy. A high-performing company needs to be um, full of employees that can do their best. And so have a level of talent management maturity, have a culture of coaching, um, and and also be able to foster psychological safety and attract diversity into um, their their ranks because we know when the faces of your employees and the hearts of your employees match the faces and the hearts of the customers and the consumers that you might serve, you're going to make a lot better decisions. And I also think a high performing company. Um, thinks to the future, as we've been talking about the entire podcast. And it's a small indicator, but if a company has a really good succession management approach to not just being great leaders today, but to be preparing great leaders for tomorrow, and even though you can hire talent from the outside, it should be a mix of growing really great leaders internally um, and also attracting people who want to be a part of your organization. And I would say one of the greatest hallmarks about whether or not you're a high-performing company 
is if an employee leaves your company and is very proud to be an alumni of your organization and is very proud of all the lessons that they learned and they will continue to support your brand, you're probably in the zone. And I think that's something that we should achieve for in all of our companies. Thanks so much for inviting me to be a part of this. You guys, this was a lot of fun. Absolutely. And and just before we do wrap up, Bob, uh, how can our listeners learn more about you? So maybe uh, you want to invite them to connect with you on LinkedIn. Maybe you're really cool and you're on TikTok or something. And also, how can they learn more about executive core? <laughs> my my 16-year-old twins want me on TikTok. Um, I'm not there yet, but I will work on it. Um, <laughs> you can certainly find me on LinkedIn. Um, Barb Singer and I am CEO of Executive Core. If you're interested and have any questions about any of the things that we talked about on this podcast today, feel free to email us. Info at executivecore.com is our email. And of course, you can find us at the website, www.executivecore.com. And again, you guys, thank you so much for inviting me to be a part of this. You are both delightful. Chris, uh, just a it's a pleasure. I learn a lot from you every time I get to um, uh, work on a project with you. So thank you very much. Barb, you're, you're more than nice. And and this is not about me. This is about you. Um, to our listeners, if you, if you take Barb up on the offer, she's got this wealth of knowledge and experience. And it is so pleasant to listen to all of the expertise she brings to the table and the experiences that she can share with you. Um, and Barb, thank you very much for taking these few minutes with us today. Hopefully all of our listeners will be reaching out to you and, or they picked up a lot of good advice as you laid out some of these wonderful points today. Thanks for your time. Bill and I are grateful. Thank you. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Bill. Thanks very much. And and listeners, we'll put some uh, links to, to Barb and what she gets up to in the show notes. So you can learn even more then. Uh, but until next time, thanks very much for listening. Thank you for listening to this episode of the People and Performance Podcast. Follow us on social media and remember to subscribe.